0: All right, so we are going to get on to the next half of this show. Um, we, is, is, is Brian and Ryan in the room? Yeah, okay, yay, woohoo, they're in the back, okay, awesome. All right, strut your stuff down the runway over here and we'll, we'll get, get you started over here. Um, so uh, Brian Wade uh, is joining us from VDOT. He uh, is, since 2019, is the emergency planner and GIS analyst with over 10 years of experience we've got Ryan Whitlaw, also with VDOT since 2019 as the COOP program manager with over 15 years of experience. And they are going to be talking to us about real-time data collection during response and recovery operations.
1: Good morning, everybody. My name is Ryan Whitelaw. Um, As I was introduced, I, I work for VDOT. I am the continuity of operations program coordinator for VDOT. I joined VDOT uh, summer of 2019, so about six months before the pandemic started, and I know the first thing you guys thought of when, when you woke up this morning after the last two years is, I want to hear more about COVID and, and COOP, so that's what I'm here to do. You know, it's a little bit of a rite of passage to get to the exciting stuff that Brian's been working on. Um, but uh, you know, prior to coming to VDOT, I worked for New Jersey Department of Transportation for a, a few years, um, overseeing you know, ESF1 the department's EOC, but also Manage, managing some of their planning programs, uh, such as the continuity of Operations program up in New Jersey. So uh, I think that experience kind of uh, propelled me into being able to address and uh, kind of uh, adapt to what was going on just six months into my tenure here at VDOT. So uh, before, uh, without further ado, I'm just going to jump into a few things here. Um, so you know, coming, uh, coming into January of, of 20, 2019 or, or 2020, I should say. Uh, my boss Matt Lott, who's in the room, I'm sure m- many of you know him, walked into my office and said, "Hey, we we need to start thinking about uh, dusting off our our pandemic plan, our reduced workforce pl- annex, and uh, you know really begin thinking about what we're going to do in response to uh, potential threat, uh, which eventually became COVID." And you know, I, I didn't think much of our pandemic annex. I was six months into my tenure. I was really focused on getting that base plan updated, um, trying to understand the organization. We have nine districts. Uh, you know, nearly 8,000 employees and contract staff. So just trying to understand the 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 way the, the hierarchy fit and work together. So um, when Matt came to me in early January, I, I pretty much dropped what I was doing and trying to understand the base plan and kind of dove into some of our annexes, one being the pandemic annex. And after diving into that, I realized there's a lot of great information in there. Um, you know, outlines a lot of mitigation measures we would take under a pandemic, but um, it really didn't fit within the base plan I had created or some of the other plans that were out there within the state. So uh, I, I worked a, for a few weeks trying to develop a crosswalk between what VDOT's plan would look like with the new COOP base plan that I had developed, the COVOPS uh, pandemic work, the CDC and VDH uh, pandemic intervals, and I kind of created that crosswalk, and that's what you see here on the screen, just part of that table. And on the far right side of that screen, you'll see a, a bunch of trigger points or considerations that our executives could could think about of where we would move through our pandemic response stages for VDOT. So I bring that up because, you know, as I mentioned. Uh, Matt came to me at the end of January there, you can see on the 21st, uh, the 21st is when the U.S. confirmed its first COVID case um, in Washington state. And that's, that's the alert that Matt got that kind of triggered the whole review of our base plan and our pandemic plan. Um, if the plan was there, it was in place at the time the pandemic had started, we would already be in stage one of what VUDAT should be doing, which is reviewing the plan. As you can see there in January 23rd, that middle box, that's when we started reviewing our pandemic plan. Um, you know, looking at the, the early portion of, you know, COVID and, and where it's, uh, where it kind of rose out of uh, China, we see China nof- notified the WHO about an unknown cluster of illness back in uh, December of 2019, eventually identifying the novel coronavirus uh, January 7th. So you can already see we're, we're a couple of weeks behind of where we should be in our planning. Um, just for a little fill-in on the, the timeline, I think about January 30th is when the WHO announced a global health emergency. And as we move through February, you can see that we finally started speaking to our, our planning teams come the end of February on the 26th, which coincided with the first community spread uh, announcement through the CDC. And I think that's uh, an important place to, to stop and, and talk about what VDOT was doing at that point. Um, our plan, or the plan that I had shown on the prior prior slide, was just just about done. Um, we needed to start meeting with our planning team, and I'm sure many of you have your COOP planning teams, but at VDOT, we had a list of who should be on that planning team. Uh, but we had some great leadership. Our director, John Scarvani, you know, took it upon himself, started meeting individually with different divisions within the organization. So we met individually with HR, we met individually with facilities, ASD, which is our administrative services. Um, and I think that was a great format for, for running how the Coop team or the Coop planning team should be uh, run in the future. We, uh, you know, when I wrote the plan, and, and without prior experience in a continuity situation, I kind of thought about having uh, everybody come together, work through our policies, work through our issues, and really try to try to think through what we should be doing. Um, you know, under COVID, we were meeting individually with each of these divisions, and I think that worked out really well. We would understand and get their input on different policy decisions that we were working through in our division. However, you know, as soon as we were done talking through what we needed to talk to on the topic, we allowed them to go back to their offices and work on the things that they needed to. Our biggest partner throughout this whole uh, COVID was is obviously our human resources division and not bogging them down in four hour meetings with our communications team or uh, our civil rights folks, um, what have you, uh, I think that was beneficial to the entire organization as a whole. So being able to be a little bit flexible of uh, how we're meeting as a group as, of our planning teams. Uh, I think that was, uh, that was critical to how we were responding as an organization. And that's how we respond actually through today. Um, you know, we actually just had a meeting with HR yesterday. We're, we're still updating things as we go along. So I think that was a, a great opportunity for us to kind of think about how we wanted to be flexible in our plans itself. So I just wanted to touch on some of the things that we learned in those, the very first few weeks of COVID. You see on the top we have monitoring and situational situational awareness at the very top on both sides of both best practices and lessons learned Um, you know it was awesome that matt got that notification from the who on uh, the 20 the 23rd or what have you of january um however we if you know it's been in the news COVID was in the news prior to that uh, but it took that notification from the world health organization to really push vdot into thinking about the the response that we were going to have in the coming months and years uh it's on the lessons learned because you know, Matt was the only one plugged into that particular notification and uh, it probably would have made sense for more of us to have that notification uh, signed up for that and, and get those, that information. I believe, um, and if anybody from VDH is here, I, I think VDH would have uh, started their situational reports at first Monday in February. So you know, even though we started our planning about the 21st, I think we would have only lost about another week prior to us really jumping into planning. But that two week gap that we saw there between the, the 7th and the 21st where we started doing our planning. That delay, you'll see in the next slide, pushes into our next stage of, of, of pandemic re, uh, pandemic response planning. Uh, time management and meeting, uh, meeting efficiency, strong leadership. I mentioned uh, John Scravani was great. Uh, he was very decisive in, in um, what he was coming up with and, and deciding to do. Um, the pandemic plan ended up being just a guidance document. We'd make sure we were following along, hitting on everything we needed to hit on, but um, it, that was just a, a great formal use of of everybody's time is just to have one-on-one meetings. If we needed to have two or three groups together, we'd bring them together, but we would really st- uh, break back out um, and allow everybody to do their regular job. The other thing that uh, John had done, if we look at the bottom right, at adaptability. Um, not only were we adapting to how we were going to set up our planning teams, but um, you, know, you, you think about the first thing you want to do is start reaching out to you know, human, ri- uh, human resources and facilities uh, under a pandemic plan. One of the first few groups we reached out to actually was our construction group, our operations, really to understand how our decisions and policy implementations were gonna affect not just those 7,500 VDOT staff and contractors that work in our office buildings, but also our contract staff out on the uh, construction sites and and on the roads doing their jobs. So that was actually one of the very first meetings we had, is to really understand what some of the impacts might be for those groups. Uh, Number three on the right, you can see realistic planning is listed. One of the issues in our, our coOP plan was to identify coop uh, staff members uh, who need to be on the planning team. Uh, we did that, uh, but as you can imagine, with many of uh, the other plans the, the division directors would identify somebody below them to really be on this, uh, those coop teams and uh, those exercises and trainings and what have you. So uh, we saw that in my plan, I would have a lot of the uh, assistant division directors uh, be labeled or identified as a key uh, planning team members but uh, what ended up happening was what you would expect. The division leadership, uh, both you know my division and the divisions across the agency, stepped up, you know, led their led their areas of expertise, and and really driving the driving the decision making at the division level. So this slide here is the uh, busiest timeline I have on this uh, on the slide deck. This is probably the uh, time period where we put in the most work and really uh, drilled down of of what and how VDOT was going to respond to in the pandemic from uh, February 29th through about March 19th, a little beyond stage three and into stage four and five. So stage three technically would have started on February 29th when CDC reported its first outbreak. That plan that I was working on was completed right around the 29th because that plan was then presented to the commissioner on the third of March. And um, you know during that planning, I identified a bunch of additional mitigation measures and resiliency measures to pandemic. Um, on the 4th of March, we established a, a permanent planning team, or a planning cell. This is where I want to pause the most. Uh, on this slide, the planning team that we put together, um, you know, John scrivani he pulled the entire uh, emergency planning team together, so it was Matt Lop, Brian, myself, and John. However, he immediately recognized that we were understaffed with just the four of us trying to manage the situation. He pulled additional staff in from other divisions, and, or not other divisions, but other offices within our division, such as security and safety. And one of the most important, I think, decisions and actions that he took as our division leader was to pull in a uh, data analyst out of our safety program uh, by the name of Matt Smith. And I'll, I'll mention a lot of his work uh, going forward here. But, uh, Matt Smith is not an emergency manager. He has no emergency management experience. He is not a safety person. He is purely data analytics. He, the, if, um, if you were to go out and build a planning team, I think that that would be the first type of skill set I would seek uh, today if I was to redo the plan. And I've already included it in the updates to my plan, but um, I, I, can't, I can't emphasize enough how important he was to our response. He enhanced everything that we've done. He made it easier for everybody to um, work through the pandemic, collect data, report out to the executives, report um, what we needed to know to VDH when we had outbreaks and what have you. He was uh, pretty much the linchpin to how we were able to achieve a lot of what we achieved at VDOT. And um, I know that not everybody has the budget to go out and get a pure data analyst for their emergency management program. VDOT has, has the funds, the ability to pull people in, but um, again, Matt didn't have experience in emergency management, he's, he's purely data analyst, so you know, for those who are local or don't have a lot of money to you know, staff up and, and build out your safety programs, your emergency management programs, just think about the skill sets that might help you as you work through uh, some of your coop planning and think about how you can just pull those skill sets in maybe from other divisions um, at your local level or the, the county level, city level, what have you. So. Um, I'm gonna jump into a bunch of his work later on, but I think that's probably the most important takeaway that I took uh, through this whole process. I didn't even think about the skill sets I needed. I thought about the people with the knowledge, um, and and that skill set is really what kind of drove us moving forward. Um, on the fifth, the commissioner issued the mitigation measures that we reviewed back on the third uh, to executive staff. Those were a lady communicated out on the, the sixth of March. And uh, to kind of fill in the timeline here, this first week of March is also when uh, Maryland saw its first case. They, had a, they declared a state of emergency. North Carolina had its first cases in the, in the region. Um, I believe by the 11th of March, it was declared a pandemic by the World Health Organization. So you can see as we move through this first week of March, um, there's a lot going on. And you know, by the time we got to 39, which is a, a, a point at which we're still doing planning, you can see that we started doing some um, workforce and supplied uh, chain planning, or disruption planning, what have you. You can see that everything's really, we're kind of moving full force towards you know, implementing a COOP plan. However, we're still behind here on 3.9 doing some planning that we should be doing all the way back in probably January. So you can see that that two week delay has pushed, pushed us all the way into a, a time period where um, you know, we're still doing planning when we should be thinking about how are we going to implement teleworking which we ended up doing between 3.10 and 3.12, and by the 13th of March, moving into that fourth stage, um, the commissioner announced that we're gonna move to teleworking for those who are able to. So on the screen here, um, I'm just gonna quickly touch on stages four through six. We're obviously still in stages five and six. Stage five is your steady state. Stage six would be your reconstitution. That top blue bar is our reconstitution plan. Um, Another positive um, element that John had us work on is instead of just developing our reconstitution plan that we would have to constantly update, um, he, he made it a, a, a decision that we wanted to make it flexible. Um, as a team, we worked on doing this flexible um, reconstitution plan or reopening plan with multiple stages ending with a V dot of tomorrow. And this flexibility allowed us to move forward and back between stages as needed. But quite honestly, we would just simply update the current stage that we're on because we never actually moved backwards. That bottom part of the screen um, is a snapshot of our COVID planning page. You know, during that first week of March, we implemented a COVID planning page to really provide all the information that we could out to the entire department and agency. Again, we had you know thousands of workers and uh, this became a linchpin for communicating to our entire agency what we were doing, the new policies and, and what have you. So just to kind of jump into some of the best practices and lessons learned um, you know, through those next couple of stages. Um, that permanent planning team and the staffing levels um, our planning team designed uh, in the plan would have you know a rep uh, for COOP planning, such as myself, maybe John if he was available or Matt if he was available, and then a single individual from each of our, div- each of our divisions. Um, in reality, what we did was we established a planning team with six individuals from our safety, security, emergency management office, and then we brought in folks as we needed, them, uh, needed to, and again, um, having Matt Smith was critical. Um, In that first week of March, we developed a case reporting tool, which allowed folks to report in when they had um, any kind of uh, immunocompromised uh, concerns about coming into the office, um, whether they thought that they had um, uh, been exposed or whether they've tested positive for COVID. We built that within the first week. Um, On the second part, data and technology incorporation to the planning team, again, that's the Matt Smith piece. Organizational structure, direct access to agency head. Uh, this was critical to us, and uh, we found that out, um, you know, just this past year. That having John having uh, you know allowing that John had direct access to the commissioner um, provided direct feedback on what we could expect uh, from the executives. What were, what were the what was the direction? What were they thinking? Um, the more individuals you place between the emergency management planner and, or the head of the direct the director level and the commissioner was um, you know in my experience in new jersey really turned into the the communication down to the lower level staff of what they were developing um, turned it on its head and and maybe even uh, miscommunicated a lot of things and you know when john took his um, it t- took a time period to go work up in new york city we ran into the, some some of those same issues in vda some of our communication broke down um, not in a way that would impact our operations or anything, but um, it was noticeable on our end. It was noticeable on the communication between our other divisions and us. Um, you know, as John left to, to work in New York City for, for a few months, we also lost our human resource director to uh, the VRE. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of turnover with some of those critical components of our agency. And, and that direct access to the commissioner was critical, and, and we're glad to have that back now. And then finally, the flexibility in the reconstitution planning. Um, as all of you know, the CDC, um, the Dolly standards, just you know what have you? Everything has changed so quickly and so rapidly throughout the entire process. Uh, your your best practices, your your policies of masking and and distancing and uh, cleaning surfaces and what have you. All of those things have changed so quickly that um, building our plan um, just a few months after the beginning of the pandemic in a flexible manner allowed us to be able to quickly update that plan. Um, within minutes every time there was a policy change. So the longest time that it took to actually update the reconstitution plan was actually understanding what was being communicated by um, you know, our, our, our DALI or our CDC or what have you. And then obviously lessons learned on the right side, we have supply chain planning. You know, Again, we started that a couple a couple weeks behind schedule. That should have been done part of any kind of business impact analysis that we would have done as part of the COOP program. Um, you know, it's a pretty heavy lift when you're talking about um, you know, 7,500 employees, and, and trying to get everybody to do what they do out on the field to also respond to, to some of the business impact analysis questions. But we're able to pull that off. But it was just um, a, a little a little later than we would have liked. However, I'd like to think that it's uh, helped in more recent uh, cases. You know, just last year at the uh, the end of the year, towards probably November or December, we had a uh, contractor uh, DBI Services go under and just close their doors on a day without notifying VDOT, and that. That contractor provided all sorts of services, from plowing services to uh, rest area, janitorial services and what have you, so I'd like to think some of this planning that happened early on in the pandemic really provided them a, a ground base for really understanding how they wanted to respond to losing such a major uh, contracting services provider. So I'm just going to run through some technology. I think it'll mesh well with what Brian is doing. but. On the left-hand side of the screen, is, you're going to see the supply chain uh, planning survey. Um, you could think, you know, without Matt Smith, we probably could have built a survey ourselves. However, on the back end, we would be able to uh, do the analytics that he's been able to do to identify, you know, which, which roles are, real, are the most critical to the agency, you know, who's completed the survey, who has uh, no survey, a, a planning library. Um, On this slide, on the top left hand side is basically just a flow chart of how we would make decisions for those who are exposed or, um, you know, tested positive for cases. Pretty cumbersome for uh, anybody to kind of read through as a supervisor to understand how they're going to respond to a particular employee on what would happen. However, on the top right hand side, again, all within a week's time, uh, Matt Smith created this supervisor notification report. As I mentioned, um, the supervisor would enter all the information in regarding any kind of um, you know, concerns about being immunocompromised, exposures, or test positives, or you know, uh, you know, any other kind of notifications regarding COVID. Again, that could be done in forms. As you can see, it's a Microsoft form. However, what you're not seeing is on the back end, he actually built an entire case management system um, within a couple days' time, which allowed our human resources division to secure the information about the individual, um, identify what kind of uh, leave that they're, they're required to get or um, you know, allowed to get, whether it's the FERC leave or the fell leave. It would be a way to track contract tracing when we were doing that early on in the pandemic, um, identifying who, um, who was where and who they were in contact with. And then on the bottom right-hand side is a facilities notification form that we eventually incorporated into that uh, supervisor notification form, which is to understand where they were located at the time. S- and then that information would be transferred over to facilities and that's kind of where we would get into um, doing some enhanced cleaning for uh, any particular facility where a positive case was found. And obviously that was, that was critical early in the pandemic when we weren't so sure if uh, uh, surfaces was a primary means of trans- transmitting COVID. And then on the bottom left is uh, simply um, some of the data pulled out of the uh, VPN testing. I'm sure everybody at the state level at least was doing some VPN testing uh, for Vita to make sure we were able to do the teleworking that we needed to do. Uh, on the top left is just uh, our tracking dashboard, um, the front facing dashboard that was available to, um, to myself. I'm not part of HR, so I didn't really have a lot of the internal insight in the back end of the case management system, but um, we were able to track you know, everything from you know, leave, those who uh, indicated that they thought they were high risk and wanted some kind of uh, accommodation in the workforce uh, to be able to do their job. Um, test positive cases, what have you. And on the bottom right, we're also tracking financial uh, obligations in response to COVID. So anytime somebody spent any money for COVID, we were asking folks to use a particular code in our our accounting system. We're able to map that and understand exactly where we were spending the most money for COVID, pretty fairly evenly dispersed. And we have a similar thing on the bottom right with uh, critical staff that we're missing. So again, in that first couple weeks of March, Matt Smith also also helped build us a uh, daily staffing tracking tool in which we were taking attendance of every individual across the entire agency uh, that's part of our staff or contract staff and trying to understand who is and who's not in the office. And that bottom right displays um, uh, facility locations of where those people are assigned and really can drill down when we ran into issues where our critical staffing was at a low level and would impact operations. I grabbed a screenshot where it was all green, uh, but there were indications of um, some lower level um, issues throughout the the period of the pandemic where we would have some yellows and reds in there when we would lose an entire area headquarters, for example, or some bridge crews might be uh, all out with illnesses, what have you. And this particular tool we could turn on and off. Um, When levels were low, I would say early, maybe late spring of 2021, we actually turned off the daily Tracker. It's a pretty intensive tool for all the supervisors across the, the districts and central office. Um, but it, they, these tools are something that we can turn on and off. We actually turned this tool back on uh, January of this year for the Omicron spike, so uh, we we can turn things on and off, and, and we certainly have done that. And then the last thing I just wanted to show you was um, uh, a facility access application and a re, uh, access portal report for our security staff. Um, you know, as we all exited the building, we were all staying home for quite some time. But as we started thinking about bringing folks back, we still wanted to reduce that the number of staff in the office, so uh, you know, Matt Smith created this awesome uh, application on the phone where you can go in and schedule a time to do what you need to do, whether you're going into your office to clean it, uh, IT support, telecoms, what have you, um, this is the app you were supposed to go to and it would make sure it would restrict the number of folks in the office at the same time. And then it also provided on the back end a portal for our on-site security staff to know who was and who was not in the the office at the time. They're instructed to uh, limit access, so if your name wasn't on there you know, you've got to get your name on there to be able to get into the building even though you're an employee. All right, so I think I kept that under 20 minutes. I wasn't keeping track. Um, I can certainly take questions now. We can wait till uh, Brian's on with his presentation. But, um, you know, I, uh, again, I, I think the most important thing is um, understanding the skill sets you need and just don't focus on the knowledge. Um, you know, we u- utilize GIS during our response as well. Um, luckily, Brian was part of our planning team, so he already had that skill set. But... Um, not everybody's going to have that, the, the same skill set, and if you're able to go out and across your agency to grab the skills you need, I don't think they necessarily need the emergency uh, management experience or planning experience or what have you. You just need that skill set to be able to um, communicate all the information that you're trying to develop out to your, your population, whether it's the public or, or within the organization like we had. So again, I can take a couple questions, or we can wait until Brian's done, but that's all I have for you. Thank you.
0: Uh, Good morning, everybody. My name is Brian Wade. Um, I'm the emergency planner within our um, planning team, and I'm also our GIS analyst. Um, So, one of the things that um, with VDOT and in particular is we have this, over the last three years, extensively expanded our GIS program, especially during their response and recovery phases um, of an emergency. So all of this kind of started in August of 2020. Um, We're all sitting in the VDOT situation room. There's a flooding event and we're discussing how our districts and area headquarters are going to conduct their windshield damage assessments and their initial damage assessments. Um, To give you an idea of what I heard sitting in that situation room is we have nine districts Um, Roughly 30 residencies and 133 area headquarters. So basically roughly 185 different ways to do windshield damage assessments and um, to do IDAs, those initial damage assessments. So essentially what um, the solution that was discussed was utilizing the ArcGIS enterprise system that we already had in place at VDOT. Um, It wasn't being used extensively within our office for this type of work Um, and there were several out of the box products that we were able to take advantage of that we were able to um, adapt and use for these purposes. So it started with the damage assessment um, and then we grew it from there. So we're using Survey123 for ArcGIS and then ArcGIS dashboards to conduct those and to display that information. So as part of that, as the damage assessments are being gathered in the field, we actually have a live view of those damage assessments across the state. And there are actually two dashboards that are used with that. The first is our tracker dashboard. This lets us visualize the total number of assessments that have been completed, um, which federal program that they'll be assigned to for recovery, whether they're going to FEMA or whether they're going to the Federal Highway Administration. Um, it also gives us an estimated dollar amount that we can share with VDEM during that recovery process. And since we've implemented this, we actually created an entirely separate dashboard for VDEM that does nothing but display um, the FEMA dollar amounts for their recovery. Um, so as they're going through, they're able—it allows them real time to see all of our numbers without having to constantly call us and ask questions about that information. The other piece of this is also a review dashboard. So we built a second survey and added it into a dashboard where our field staff can go in and directly review those initial damage assessments, square up the estimates, and also verify that all the roadways do meet federal standards. So if it's going to federal highway, it has to be a specific type of roadway. So this tool also gives us that ability as well. When we first started this, um, we had, we're utilizing just over 100, right under between 50 and 100 licenses for our GIS across our entire agency. Um, over the last three years, we have expanded that to almost 500 now um, as of today. So we increased our GIS usage um, across the entire agency, not only at the central office and, head, and district levels, but all the way down to our guys in the field that have been issued mobile devices, down to that 133 area headquarters. With that, we've created one entire process that everybody uses. We standardized our response and recovery processes using these tools. So after we got this initial damage assessment up and running, we started looking at how can we improve on the process. With that, we utilize the tool called Quick Capture. Quick Capture is an out-of-the-box mobile application that Esri has available. What it allowed us to do was create a simple one-button form for our folks in the field. Um, Essentially, there are two people that ride around in a truck following an event, one driving, one doing Quick Capture. They can get out, they can take pictures, they can identify the damage. Following that, it goes into our initial damage assessment, our review, and then our preliminary damage assessments with our federal partners. So to show you what that looks like, this is an example of the dashboard view. So this, these are our windshield damage assessments. We actually have several going on right now. Um, the dashboard view you are seeing is actually what our executives see on a regular basis. Um, the marks here are the ones that Matt Lott did on our drive down this morning along 64, but you can see where we're actively conducting windshield damage assessments um, here in the western part of the state right now with our Salem district. So everything is fully dynamic, and as these windshield damage assessments come in, we can open up the the windshield assessment, see what it is, view the picture, um, see the damage that occurred, And then it also allows us to help prioritize which routes that we need to get to first for emergency repairs so that we can get roadways up and running. Once these are completed and the folks move into the survey one, two, three tool, they're assigned their particular location that was identified during the windshield damage assessment and they can actually go out and conduct their IDA. So to give you an idea, um, to date, we actually, all of our damage assessments load into SharePoint for long-term storage. And we can look at total dollar amounts and ex- and consecutive damage sites. So if we see a site that has had damage repeatedly um, over the last few years, we can identify that and work with the locality to develop mitigation measures, be it through the BRIC grant process, or through hazard mitigation grants, depending on the type of roadway. It also allows us to identify for our construction program areas where we may need to look at betterments, um, whether it's increasing a bridge size, changing the slope or the grade of an area, uh, adding rock or increasing culvert size. So this tool allows us on multiple levels, um, not only to see immediate damages, but also to look at the long-term effects in long-term areas that we've encountered problems. As part of this we've been expanding out now into our executive dashboards. Um, We use a weather contractor that allows us to bring in GIS feeds direct from them which we can then display for our executives. Um, We are actually getting localized storm reporting, we get live radar, we get lightning to ground um, we are working with them right now to actively bring in their forecasts and to tie much of the information with Virginia 511 and our other uh, management systems into this dashboard as well. So as part of this too, we are also bringing in traffic information. Um, we do have a partnership with Waze that allows us to bring in live incident reporting along with the Esri World Traffic Service. We are currently actively working with our operations folks to bring in our Virginia 511 sensors. Um, We also bring in all of our cameras. So this is another way that we've expanded our process and to bring in other divisions um, for a much more holistic view of everything going on statewide. This story map is active all the time so no matter the time of day our executives can go in and look at what's going on around the state during an event Um, and in particular we used it to identify when we were working um, with the trucker convoys we were able to pull all of the bridges that actually um, went under overpasses so we were able to then look and determine if we had any concerns about pedestrians on overpasses or or anything along those lines Um, in certain areas. And this is all information we can actually share with VDEM through a sharing group that we've built out. So we're able to share this not with just our organization, but also with our other state partners. And we pull in layers from other state agencies. So we pull in floodplain information from DCR, we pull in the dam dam information, we pull in inundation mapping. So all of this gives us a much more holistic view of what's going on during an event. Let's see if this will load here. There we go. So you can see with the storm reports, um, we can actually see if the storm reporters are um, reporting any particular types of heavy rainfall. If we're also getting watches and warnings, you can see the lightning here. One of the things that our um, weather provider also gives us are these storm attributes. What this allows us to do is look at the direction the storm is moving, how fast it's moving, and where we can expect impacts in the future. So it allows us to reach out to our districts and say, okay, you've got this coming your way, this is what's going on here, are you prepared for it, have your crews double-check all of their GIS licenses, make sure everybody has access to the systems. We do expect um, windshield damage assessments to be conducted and IDAs potentially if necessary. And you can see here, we, the storm reports are broken out by county. And then we can also look at if there's any particular impacts. And one of the other things our weather contractor provides us is we can go back and actually look at things like tornado tracks from a storm um, so that we can do a much thorough, more thorough review process after the event. And we can pull all of that up within the GIS system to look at it. So one of the nice things with all of these tools especially with the Esri tools, is they can be used with or without cell service. So if our folks did not have a signal and they're out in the field conducting damage assessments and and quick capture, we can actually, if they have no via Wi-Fi or cell service, they can still conduct those, take the pictures, the GPS locations are still captured. When they get back to an area, everything will automatically upload. So they don't have to do anything again from their vehicles, everything will automatically upload into the system and we can continue um, that process as we move forward. This is especially helpful if we see large widespread power outages or if we see um, a lot of damage in a particular area. So this is the initial damage assessment review board that I talked about. You can actually see the survey here on this side of the map on the far left there. Um, What happens is at the district level when they're reviewing these, They can look at these surveys, they can look at the map, they can identify their district, they can filter to their district, and then they can actually go through and complete that review survey without having to be in the field. So, And all of this is real time. So as soon as those IDAs are completed, it's automatically going to populate in the map and be ready for review within a matter of minutes. So as soon as that survey is done and sent, it's available for review so that we can speed up that process. And once again, these are those dashboard products I was just demoing. Now we also have the ability to pull in all of our winter weather information too. Um, This allows us to filter out the number of contract vehicles we have on the road. It also allows us to bring in that information from our AVL so we can track what vehicles are assigned to what areas. Um, We have our snow routes populated so we can see when routes are cleared. All of that will populate on the map and adjust lifetime uh, as everything is going, as operations are being conducted. So our next steps in this process as we continue to expand out our GIS footprint is we are actively working on the recovery side to where the initial damage assessments will automatically populate those surveys we have to conduct for Federal Highway. So as the folks in the field are starting that recovery piece, we're able to share real time and bulk upload to the Federal Highway Grants Portal and also share that information directly with VDEM. So if we have to conduct PDAs or any of that type of assessment following an event, um, all of this can be readily deployed. Uh, We're also looking at potentially expanding into a drone program to assist us with damage assessments in areas that are inaccessible, such as where we had significant tree damage Uh, like we saw this past winter in January. It will allow our folks to fly a roadway, map it, take pictures, and conduct those windshield damage assessments safely. And that's pretty much it for me. Any questions? So we are working on that piece. That's kind of the next step. A lot of this over time has been to ensure the last three years that everything is working properly before we do share that out. Um, The sharing with VDEM has actually only occurred within the last probably six months, six to eight months, I would say. Um, So building those dashboards and the constant interruption of events, it it just kind of takes time. Right now I'm a one-man shop doing planning and GIS so, um, but locality expansion is something we are looking into to be able to share that. Mm -hmm. So, most of our folks out in the field at the area headquarters level are superintendents. So they are overse- They typically are the ones out actually doing these. They have state issued phones. We also have tablets um, that are assigned to each of our offices that are handed out following an event. So we do have the ability at each of our local areas uh, to utilize those tablets to do that type of thing. And we are currently exploring Um, and working with Vita on being able to utilize the Microsoft Pros, um, be it through capturing GPS information through the URL, um, or actually looking at buying GPS antennas that would plug into the USB so that our folks in the field could then use Microsoft Pros um, that they've been issued as their laptop to conduct those assessments. Any other questions? All right, that does it for me. Thank you.